0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Well, it has been an exciting 24 hours in the Hayes family. And uh, we, have, uh, we have a new addition to our Our crew. This is uh, Judge on the left, and with his big brother Jeter on the right. So Jeter and Judge. There's a distinct New York Yankees uh, theme uh, going on uh, with these with these guys. But uh, so the picture on the right. I don't know if you can tell it from there, but they're soaking wet. We brought Judge home and it was right after the rainstorm that we had yesterday. And so they were romping around frolicking in the yard and rolling all over the wet grass and running through the, the wet uh, bushes. And according to my watch last night, I burned an insane amount of calories chasing after them yesterday. And so this is one of my plans to, to stay young. So, you know, back in the days when i actually was young i got into racquetball for a period of time in seminary and so i had a buddy named bill that i worked out with and we were both into sports you know he had played soccer at UConn. And so we spotted each other lifting weights and things like that. And so we decided one day, let's try racquetball. We'd never played it before. We literally had to learn the rules of the game. But, you know, pretty soon Bill and I were having, you know, absolute cage matches down there on the racquetball court, you know. And so we were both improving and, you know, we we were both pretty fast and we felt like, you know, wow, we're, we're really getting good at this. So one day Bill couldn't Play And so I was down there and one of the professors, uh, Dr. Wagner, he's a missions professor, looked at me and said, hey, you want to you play? So I said, sure. Now, listen, Dr. Wagner was white haired, you know, white beard, I'm 25 or so at the time, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'll, I'll barely get in a good workout, you know, against this guy. Well, um, it wasn't much of a contest, but not in the way that I had envisioned it. Because there were like a couple of things I did not know about Dr. Wagner. In fact, I did not know this until a couple of weeks ago. I, was, I knew I was going to be telling this story. And so I Googled him, and I thought, know, whatever happened to Dr. Wagner? Well, there's like a little bio on him. And at the time that the bio was written, at that point, it said that he had already run 16 marathons. And that he had run, listen to this, he had run at least 5K in 1,200 different cities and towns around the world. So he was in great shape, but here's the thing he really didn't need to be in great shape against me because he was also like a black belt in racquetball, I found out. And so he really didn't have to even run. You know, all he had, he placed the ball so well that he just kept me running the entire time, and I barely got a point off of him. Now, that was eye-opening and humbling, and I realized that, you know what, if I'm gonna get to a new level in racquetball, I'm gonna have to play somebody just besides Bill, who's about the same as me. I'm gonna need to play somebody who is at a higher level than me in order to get to a higher level level the prayers of scripture can take our own praying to a higher level the psalms the lord's prayer and in this series we're going to be talking about the prayers of paul the times in paul's letters when he just stops and prays for the the church and you, know, we can use these prayers in all kinds of, of, of ways. We can just pray them as they are. I just encourage you, pray the Psalms. Don't just read the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. Right, use the Lord's prayer, you know, and uh, even yesterday I was, I was actually walking, you know, uh, Jeter, and, and, and I was kind of prayer walking and taking each phrase of the Lord's prayer and using that like as a, a, a jumping off point for my own, my own prayer, and it can give kind of contours and structure to our, to our, our, our prayers, and the prayers of Paul are like that as well. Um, and so we can pray them as they are. We can, Better yet, we can memorize them, use them as our own prayers. We can take each phrase and use it as a jumping off point for our own prayers. But as we dig into the prayers of the Bible, what we'll find is that our prayers, our communion with God, can be taken to a higher level. So for the next seven weeks, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going, to be, we're going to take each week, we're going to take one of the Apostle Paul's prayers and dig into that. And we're going to begin today with Colossians chapter 1. Open your Bibles to Colossians 1 this morning. Colossians 1, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 14. While you're finding that, in God's word, thank you so much for your prayers uh, for um, Melissa and I. We've had a bunch of folks going out from our church. We've had our gang from uh, Fuge. We've we've got a, a team that's been in France um, that'll be uh, they'll be coming back uh, to, tonight. And so, answer prayers for them. There had been some unrest on the streets in France and that had kind of calmed down before they got there That was, and they were able to freely engage with people. That's a wonderful answer prayer. Thank you for praying for them. Thank you for praying for me and Melissa on our, our trip to the UK. Oh, it was so wonderful uh, being with missionaries from across uh, Europe, many of them brand new, been on the field for less than six months. Um, and so they were acclimating to all the new things that they were doing and then we had team leaders coming in as as well, and it was a blessing to be with them, a blessing to be able to encourage them uh, from the Word of God. Some of the things that you're going to be hearing in this series, I was able to share um, with them in that event. So thank you so much for your prayers for us as well. Colossians 1, and let's look at verses 3 through 14. We see kind of the context that that flows into the prayer here from verse 3 to the beginning of verse 9, and then we see Paul stop and pray for them beginning in the latter part of verse 9. Let's pick it up with verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope and the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love and the spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, as we embark on a new series this morning, we pray that you would use the prayers of the apostle Paul, Lord, to take us to a new place in our communion with you, in our walk with you through prayer. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use now uh, this challenging uh, prayer in Colossians. Lord, would you open and expand our minds and hearts. Lord, would you incline our hearts to you. Lord, would you make us hunger and thirst and want more of you, more of communion with you, the living God. And we know that we can only come, come to you and only approach you through your Son and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So before we actually dig into kind of the content of the, the prayer, I want us to look at the, the, the context of, this, of, of Paul's prayer here because there are a couple of things that we need to, to grab before we dig into the, into the prayer itself. And there are a couple of things I want us to see here. First of all, notice that Paul is praying for people that he's never met. If you notice here in verse four, he says to them, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. He says in verse seven, speaking about the gospel, you learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. So listen, Paul did not plant the church at Colossae, Epaphras planted this church and the backstory here is really encouraging because scholars believe that, that Paul uh, came in contact with Epaphras while he was in Ephesus which is about 100 miles from Colossae and so Paul ministered at, at Ephesus for an extended period of time and at some point while in Ephesus Paul comes in contact with this man Epaphras. And Epaphras, scholars believe, hears Paul share the gospel. He comes to faith in Christ, and Epaphras ends up going back to his hometown of Colossae to plant this church. And so how encouraging is that? Listen, we we never know. When we're sharing the gospel, you know, as Paul was faithfully doing in Ephesus, he had no idea that day that when he shared the gospel in the marketplace or wherever he was, that this man, Epaphras, was going to hear the good news of the gospel, his life was going to be changed, and he was going to end up going back to Colossae to plant this new work, to plant this church. And, you know, we, we have no idea, as we engage in gospel conversations with people, you know, whether we see an immediate response or not, The seeds of the gospel, once they're sown, can be like, just have explosive power that comes to fruition at some point down the road. We never know. And so we may see it, we may not see it or know about it until we get to heaven. But listen, as we're faithful to share the gospel, as we're faithful to engage in the lives of people and seeking to disciple them, you know, as you teach Sunday school, or you know, as you invest yourself in planning for a, an event through the life of our church, or as you serve in some way in a ministry of our, our church, whether you see immediate fruit from that or not, you can know that God's word is not going to return to Him void. Oh, I love 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. It says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's never in vain, right? And as Paul shared the gospel faithfully that day in Ephesus, it was not in vain. You know, God was gonna do something remarkable in the life of Epaphras, and then through Epaphras, as he plants this church in in Colossae. But I want us to go back to this kind of issue that, that Paul is praying here for people he's never met. He doesn't know these people. And so we need to be praying for people that are beyond kind of our immediate little world. Because it's so easy, if we're not careful, our prayer lives can become very, very narrow. How much of our prayers are just focused on ourselves or our, our concerns and our personal lives or you know, maybe our immediate family or maybe our immediate circle. Friends, as Great Commission believers, our prayers need to expand like way beyond that. Look at what Paul says here about the gospel in verse, in verse six. He says that it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world. And that means that our prayers must encompass the world. And so, Paul is praying here for people that he's never met, and we need to be praying for people we've never met. Praying for our missionaries and the people that they're working with Right, that are related to our church, but even beyond that, there are opportunities with things like the Joshua Project, or Operation World, or you know, IMB has a prayer app that can just help us to, to expand our prayers to, to, to make them global prayers because we've been called to a global mission. There's a second thing that we need to see here, and, and that is that Paul is praying for them continuously. Look at what he says at the beginning of verse 9. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. Now, when we think about continual prayer, you know, we can think about like 1 Thessalonians 5:17 to pray without ceasing. So we can think about abiding in Christ, where you know, we're we're breathing out prayers to God you know, throughout the day because it's a walk with him, right? He's never far from us. And so uh, J.C. Ryle described it one time as staying in a, a prayerful frame of mind. You know, Whether you're breathing out a prayer at that moment or not, you're in a prayerful frame of mind. You're in touch with the Lord you know, throughout the day. All, all of that is biblical. All of that is true. But D.A. Carson, the scholar who has done maybe the most work with the prayers of Paul points out that Paul coming from a Jewish background like he did certainly had set times of prayer as well as staying close to the Lord, praying kind of throughout the day, being in touch with him throughout the day. Yes, but in addition to that, there were set times, you know, when he was coming before the the Lord. Carson says, much praying is not done because we do not plan to pray. Plan to pray. (laughs) Um, Make it a place in your calendar, in your day when you are going to be with the Lord in his word and in, in, in prayer. So a couple of things here from the the context. Now, let's, let's kind of get into the, the content of the prayer itself, which begins in the latter part of verse nine. So let's pick it up there. Paul says, we are asking, and here's the petition. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, this is the controlling petition of the prayer, Everything else in verses 9 through 14 flows from the statement at the end of verse 9. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, when 21st century Americans hear about God's will you know, or a prayer that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will, we tend to think about God's guidance. God's guidance maybe for decisions that we need to make, for instance. And listen, it is absolutely biblical that God does give guidance in his will and decision-making and things like that. Yes, of course, he does. But a lot of times when the Apostle Paul is talking about the will of God, he's actually talking about the revealed will of God. <laughs> the will of God that he has already revealed to us. For instance, in Ephesians five seventeen, when he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's talking there about God's revealed will. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, when he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. He's not asking there for like guidance. He's talking about God's will, which has already been revealed to us. This is the will of God. And that's kind of the case here in the prayer when he, when, he, when he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, Paul there is talking about God's will that has been revealed to them. So where do we find God's revealed will? It, it is in the scripture. We, we are filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding as we soak ourselves in the word of God. And listen, not just kind of, you know, a pick-me-up verse here and there, but but really digging into the word of God, you know, studying books of the Bible, that's why we do expositional preaching here. Um, reading the Bible, reading the whole Bible and having a plan to do that and doing it repeatedly so that we're learning more and more of the, the nature and character of God and the promises of God as, we, as we're taken into the whole sweep of the story of God in Scripture. And The late Tim Keller um, said something uh, just a few months before he passed away, Uh, Keller said this. He said, nothing more important for a Christian to do than to read right through the whole Bible over and over and over at least once a year. The key is to do it every year for years and years and years. Don't try to take in everything in one reading in one year. It's more than worth it now. That statement should not have been controversial. There should be, there's nothing controversial about that statement. But when Keller posted that, what we just read on social media, you should have seen the blowback that he got from American Christians, whiny American Christians who came back at him and said, Oh, you know, that's, that sounds spiritually, spiritually abusive, or that's legalism. That's not legalism. That's our life. That's our lifeline. I can't imagine what I would do without the word of God. I mean, without, without feasting and fueling ourselves on the word of God so that when we're cut, we bleed Bible. And when we're going through situations in life and trials and everything else, we've got the armor of the word of God. God that is in us, and, and, and we're learning to think biblically. You know, and the only way to do that is to soak yourself in the scripture. That's how we, that's how we know the will of, of God. But, but again, that takes a plan, right? It takes a plan. There are all kinds of plans. I mean, if you go on the version app, it's free. You know, you hit plans. There are dozens of plans. You know, that will take you systematically through the Bible. It doesn't take that long each day to do it either. But like as you do it repeatedly, your life is blessed. Your mind and your heart is renewed. And you learn more and more how how to think biblically. And you learn more and more about the, the will of God that has been revealed to us that you can walk in that and that's the point of this it's not just that we would acquire more bible knowledge the ultimate point is that we would walk in this walk in this which is exactly where paul is going next in verse 10 so that purpose clause so that you may walk so that you may walk what worthy of the lord wow what a powerful little phrase this is that we would walk worthy of the Lord. There's a scene in Lord of the Rings where um, Eowyn uh, is talking to Aragorn and she's afraid that her people are going to be conquered and, 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 and enslaved. Um, and and uh, Aragorn is talking to her, this is in the two towers, and uh, Aragorn says, what do you fear most, my lady? And she says, a cage. She's afraid that they're going going to be enslaved. Aragorn says, you are a daughter of kings. I do not think that will be your fate. And listen, you are a daughter of the king of kings, a son of the king of kings. If you were in Christ, that's your identity as a child of God, a son or a daughter of the king of kings. Listen, walk worthy of that identity. You are not a slave to sin anymore. There is a nobility about your life, right? There's a dignity, there's an authority about your life because you belong to him, right? You are his child, right? Walk worthy of that high calling and identity. Walk worthy of the Lord. Then what does he say? Fully pleasing to him. I've been able to to visit some countries that are are dominated by an honor-shame culture. And in cultures like this, you know, the worst thing that you can possibly do is bring shame or disgrace on your your family. In the Greco-Roman world of the first century where Paul is, is writing, there was a strong sense of that as well. Honor-shame culture. So these, these new Christians in Colossae are coming out of a system where you know, they're, they're, the highest value you know, is not bringing shame on your, 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 your peer group, your, your family, you know, your guild, whatever. Paul here is actually kind of subverting that. And he is saying that now as a child of God, your focus is to be fully pleasing to the Lord. Now we might not have grown up in an honor shame culture, but certainly in our culture, <laughs> we can be subject to you know being prisoners of people pleasing, <laughs> trying to impress people get the approval of people. So much of social media works around this whole you know, mindset. Um, as a follower of Christ, that, that has to change, right? Our focus now is to be fully pleasing to him. And now what Paul does is he gives us four descriptive phrases of what that kind of a life looks like. What is, what is a life that is fully pleasing to the Lord? What does it look like? In the CSB they're easy to spot, they all kind of have ING words that are, that are in them. Uh, the, the first is found at the end of verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. So Paul is not shy about talking about works, he just gets them in the right order right um ephesians 2 8 through 10 for by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves it's a gift of god not of works, so that no one may boast but then right as wilson shared earlier verse 10 we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for what for good works which god prepared in advance that we should walk in them Bearing fruit in every good work. And then the second descriptive phrase here, also in verse 10, um, growing. Growing, verse 10, growing in the knowledge of God. How's your growth in Christ? Are you growing in Christ? And then in verse 11, He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. You know, we don't talk much about endurance and patience as 21st century American evangelicals. We should talk about them a lot. The Bible talks about them a lot. Endurance, patience. So much, you know, in our culture is all about fl- doing flashy things. You know, getting quick results. I sometimes feel like, you know, if we were, if we were writing this instead of Paul, we, maybe we would write, hey, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may do the awesome and the spectacular. But no. Paul says being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. I love what Carson uh, says about this. Carson says, In an age when tempers are hot, quick solutions are ardently courted." Success is revered, victory is cherished, independence is lauded, and easy triumphs are promised. Great endurance and patience at first glance seem like less than stellar qualities, but the truth is they are so far beyond human capacity that they require the power of the Spirit of God. Endurance, patience, steadfastness, God is pleased with these things. And then look at the the, the very end of, of verse 11 and verse 12. Joyfully what giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Listen, whatever your trials today, whatever burdens you're carrying this morning as a believer, the overriding reality in your life as a child of God is that you have a great inheritance that is already secured for you. In 1 Peter 1, 1.4 says that, that and we have an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, and undefiled kept in heaven for you. And it's right around the corner, Right? Christ is coming again, we're going to be with him, whichever comes first, but in either case, listen, whatever length of life we have (laughs) in this fallen world is a drop in the bucket compared to eternity where our inheritance is ready, won by Christ and waiting for us. Now listen, when we understand that, that should put the trials of this life in perspective. They are not going to last. And we've got glory that is coming john newton not only was a great hymn writer wrote amazing grace and other great hymns but he was a, a pastor as well and he was known for his ability to kind of illustrate i love what newton says about this newton once said suppose a man was going to new york to take possession of a large estate and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city which obliged him to walk the rest of the way what a fool we should think him to be if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. Dude, you've got an inheritance that's right. Walk a mile. I mean, it's right around the corner. Who cares? Why do you care about your carriage? You've got this inheritance. And like, that's, that's our situation, right? I mean, whatever trials we face in this life I mean, there is an inheritance that's ready. It's been won. It's waiting for us, right, forever. And it's right around the corner. And so rejoice and be thankful. Give thanks and rejoice that you have been rescued. Look at verse 13. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, a few weeks ago, um, the world was so transfixed by the plight of the sub that was going down to explore the Titanic. And, you know, everybody was kind of on edge and reading updates about the search. Well, it turns out the crew probably uh, perished on the way down. And there was no rescue. This is a story where there was no rescue from the darkness, from that dark abyss. But Paul says here that we have been rescued from the domain of darkness. And I love this. Transferred. The word means like to be relocated into another realm, into another country rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the son he loves. We've got a new king. We're part of of his kingdom. The kingdom of the son. And listen, Jesus is the son he loves. And if you're united to Christ by faith, that means that God loves you like he loves his son. Because you were in his son, right? Verse 14, in him, you were in him. And if you are in him, you're united to Christ, that means that the father loves you the way that he loves the son because you are in the son. Again, I love what Tim Keller says. Keller says the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That is our position in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for the love of Jesus. We thank you for the love of your, of your son. And Lord, we, we thank you that, that that you love us the way that you love him because we are in him. If we are in, have come to Christ and by repentance and faith, and we're joined to Jesus, united to the son that you love. And so Lord, we thank you that you love us and you accept us as your own children on that basis. Lord, take us deeper into our walk with you Lord, the way that we commune with you in prayer is just so absolutely vital for the way that we live our lives. And so Lord, we pray that you you would use this text and this series to draw us closer to you. As we just continue to pray, what's God doing in your life right now? We've heard testimonies of what God has done Uh, In the lives of students at camp this week, we praise God for that. What What is God doing in your life? Are you growing in him? Do you know him? If not, he invites you to know him. The work has been done. There's a savior. He died for sinners like you and me on the cross. He rose from the dead that we might have eternal life. Turn to him. Trust him right now. In these holy moments, turn to Jesus. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray.